0: And so, please note that God did not keep them from the furnace, but He stepped into the furnace with them and delivered it. And so, it's not that God always keeps you out of the furnace. God doesn't always keep you out of the valley, but He always has promised to be with you in the furnace, in the valley, as He takes that journey with you. And so, really that ties in with what we want to talk about today. And uh, this title of this message is, Declaring My Dependence upon God. So if you'll go to Matthew chapter 6, again, we are combing our way through this very powerful prayer, this model prayer that Jesus gave to his disciples when they asked him the question, Lord, please teach us how to pray. And so my question for you out of the gate is, when was the last time that you had to depend upon someone? I mean, to the point where if they didn't come through, things were not going to turn out very well. Now, sometimes uh, you may work at a job where you have to depend upon somebody else. Maybe you are co-laboring on a project, and they need to get their portion done so you can get your portion done, and you can't do your portion until they get their portion done, but you've got a deadline you've got to meet, and they keep dragging their feet and they keep procrastinating, and so it really is frustrating. Or maybe you were in school and had a project, right, where the teacher gave you a project, you know, assigned three or four students, but you're only one doing all the work and you're trying to depend on everybody else to do their part, but nobody's doing their part. You knew how frustrating that could be. Maybe you have called a friend and said, hey, a uh, group of friends, hey, could you ha- come and help me uh, You know, next Saturday to move? And they promised to be there to show up to help you and lo and behold, nobody shows up like my bachelor party uh, Friday night. Or maybe uh, uh, maybe your health begins to decline, right? And you you are... You know fiercely uh, becoming independent, you know you 're fiercely independent and your health is beginning to decline and you, you don't want to ask for help and you, you don 't want to be dependent upon anybody else uh, to help you in that season of your life. You see when we are dependent upon someone else, it means that we're not in total control, and we don 't we don't like that right We hate that we hate not being in control of the factors that have to do with our everyday life. We want to be in control, we like to be in control, but yet Jesus came to this prayer, and he says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it is a prayer of surrender. And we looked at this a couple of weeks ago at at this prayer in that, what he is saying in essence, look, you've gotta learn to let go of control. If if you're gonna surrender, totally surrender your life over to the Lord, You've got to learn how to let go of control, learn to be content where you are. You've got to learn how to lay down your plans and leave the future to God. Jesus modeled this before his own disciples when he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. You'll recall, recall that three times Jesus asked the Lord to take this cup from him, the drinking of the cup of God's wrath, the cross, and he said, in essence, though, in the end of it, but not my will be done, but your will be done. And so Jesus was displaying the essence of this prayer. Hey, it's not my will, God. I'm letting go of control. I'm I'm giving myself over to your will, whatever it is. I will be content with whatever you choose ultimately to do with me. I'm gonna learn, I'm gonna be content. I'm just laying it all down at your feet. I'm laying down my plans. I'm allowing your plans to supersede my plans. I'm leaving my future into your hands. And that's exactly what he did. And so here is our big idea for today and the principle that I take away from that as we dive into this very next section of the prayer. And it's simply this. There is a tremendous amount of power that is available to you when you learn how to depend upon God. There's a tremendous amount of power available to you when you learn how to depend upon God. Now flip that coin over. There's a great loss in power when you are unwilling to depend upon God. It's, it's hard for us to get to this point of absolute surrender, but as I mentioned already, if you never get to that point of absolute surrender, I can assure you, your spiritual life will be mediocrity at best. That's about the level you're going to go to. Because there's so many things that God wants to do in and through our lives, and, and things that are going to require from us a willingness to lay down our plans, let go of control, let God do what is, it is that God wants to do, because God is trying to bring transformation into our lives. This walk we have with God is a faith walk, and the only way that faith gets deepened is when we learn how to surrender ourselves over to Him. Now, Jesus then moves on in the prayer, and He says, now give us this day our daily bread. Now, to me, that seems a little bit strange, right? Right? In a day when our pantries are full and our refrigerators are fully stocked um, and we, we don't need to pray for our daily bread, do we? I mean, there's not a single one of us that are going to go home this afternoon and go hungry because there's nothing in our cabinets, there's nothing in the refrigerator, or there's not a store very close by that you can stop or a restaurant. That's just not what we're going to experience. The issue Jesus raises here is not about where you're going to find your next meal, These seven words are about dependence, specifically who or what are we depending upon in our lives? Who or what are we depending upon to meet our deepest needs in life? Because one of the things that will flush that out very quickly, who you're actually depending upon in the area of your deepest needs is when you hit a crisis, when you walk through a valley, when you are given news that absolutely rocks your world, whoever it is that you're depending upon, resting upon to meet your deepest needs will come to the surface. And whenever we place our dependence upon someone or something that is untrustworthy, it raises our anxiety. This is why many believers live their lives filled with fear, worry, and anxiety because we have put our faith and trust and dependence upon the wrong thing in order to meet our deepest needs. And so as we kind of go through this prayer and in this section of the prayer, um, our deepest needs, when God meets them, that's when things like fear and worry and anxiety begin to subside. Because I know that God is the meter. I am dependent upon him. He is the one who has the capability of meeting my deepest needs. Now just to give you an example, as I am getting older, and having to think about re- retirement someday, although I don't plan on retiring anytime soon. I, I'm going to preach as long as I have sound mind, my mind. Okay, so my wife's already questioning that, but aside from that, um, but you know, you have to think in terms of that. And so there for a while, I was having great anxiety, literally great anxiety over what that would look like for me, and, and, and have I been saving enough, and putting enough back, and and so this went on for like a month. And finally, I said, Lord, you know, I, I don't know why I'm having anxiety over this. And God says, I know. <laughs> so he, he proceeded to show me. But here's one of the things that I came to the conclusion is that, listen, there has never, ever, 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 ever in my lifetime been a time that God has not met every single one of my needs. And why would he start now not doing that? And it was like that, the anxiety went away. I say, God, I'm just going to trust in you. There's going to be no complaint. There's going to be no griping and groaning and grumbling about things. It's all about praise. It's all about worship. It's all about adoring you, giving thanks for what you have done in the past, and I know you will continue to do in the present. So this word bread, give us this day our daily bread. Now, bread is a very common staple item in all cultures across the world, right? Bread is relatively easy to make. Uh, all you need is some flour, some water, and some heat, and you can make bread. Uh, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, uh, the bread that I saw in our household all the time was Wonder Bread. I mean, you know, Wonder Bread? Yeah, yeah. So one of the things we loved about Wonder Bread, and the reason why I think they called it Wonder Bread, is because that br- you take a slice of bread out, and it was so gummy that you could literally fold it up into a cube the size of a grape and plop it in your mouth. I mean, it was a, is that disgusting or what? This is what we fed our children, right? So. And you wonder why we are the way we are. So when we, we, we look at the word bread, and we, we're thinking a staple item, oh, a slice of bread. This is not really what it's referring to. In fact, there are four ways that bread is referenced in Scripture, and here they are. Now, one is bread represents the necessities of life, the necessities of life. You have a lot of necessities to keep your physical life going, right? You need water. You can't survive without water. You need air. You can't survive without air. You need food. You can't survive without food. You really need sunshine. Uh, you need a certain amount of sunshine, and uh, you know we just can't survive over long periods of time. These are necessities of our physical body, but the truth is, God says that He never created anything without providing what His creation needs to sustain it. And so, in the book of Exodus, for example, when Israel came out of their wilderness wandering, You know, they needed something to sustain their life, right? So God had to sustain it. They needed water. They needed air. They needed food. And they were complaining about the fact there was no food. So all of a sudden, God starts dropping manna out of heaven. And the word manna means, what is this? In our modern day, at least when I grew up as a child, we called it spam. I don't know what you called it, but that's what we called spam. Spam this and spam that. My My mother became very creative with spam. And so, you know, they would collect their manna every day. On Fridays, the day before Sabbath, they would collect enough for Sabbath. Uh, They weren't allowed to collect it on the day of Sabbath. And so three times a day, they're eating manna. So you can imagine if you're a Jewish child, you come in, hey, mama, what's for breakfast? Well, manna omelets. That's what's for breakfast. And what's for lunch? Well, we're having uh, manna stew. What's for for dinner? Well, we're having manna cotti. So, uh, yeah, so this is kind of the staple item of their life. And it was a part of God sustaining them physically. It was a part of the necessity of life. And so here is the um, kind of the God, in God's economy, he would supply it, but they had to gather it, right? And so it's that way in every necessity of life. God is willing to supply it, but you have to gather. For example, uh, if you want to eat in our day and time, you probably have to work, right? So you got to earn a paycheck, you go to work, uh, God supplied you with the health and the, the the ability to do that. You go to work, you, you work your job, uh, you collect a paycheck, you go out to the grocery store, and you spend it all at the grocery store. It's amazing, right? It used to be you could take $100 and have a trunk full of groceries. Now I get $100, I got two little bags like this I'm carrying out of the grocery store. Needless to say, Proverbs 14.23 says, Hard work pays off, mere talk puts no bread on the table. So, right? Just talking about it isn't going to provide for me. So it's not a question of, I'm just praying to God and say, God, just drop your necessities out of heaven somehow. No, God's willing to supply it, but we have to put forth the effort to gather it up. So keep that in the back of your mind. Number two, bread represents God's word. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. God's word is food for your soul. If you are not in God's Word, you are starving your soul. This is a, he said, give us this day our daily bread. Not monthly, not weekly, not yearly. Daily bread. You need the daily intake of God's Word. It is the truth of God's Word that begins to rewire your mind and transform your life. And one of the things I shared with our guys in, in our class this morning, there's a difference between change and transition. right? So when you gave your life to Jesus, a lot of things changed instantly. For example, you were instantly transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved son. You were instantly adopted into God's family. You became a child of God. You were instantly clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. So when God looks upon you, he sees only Jesus. You were instantly given the Holy Spirit who would be for you, with you, throughout all of eternity. A lot of things took place that changed instantly. But let me ask you a question. When you got up the next day after you got saved, were you a different person? Did you act differently? Did you talk differently? Did you behave differently? I didn't. I struggled with the same issues, the same temptations, the same sins. And so transition means, this is what the Bible uses as the term of, you know, God's sanctification, God's growing you, taking the change that took place internally and begin to work it out. And the way that that happens, the scripture says, is through the renewing of your mind. Nothing changes in your life until your thought processes change. And so it's all about the Holy Spirit taking the word of God and transitioning your mind. So you need to do this on a daily basis. Most of you probably shower daily, at least your spouse hopes so. Uh, maybe not, maybe you don't, but you know, you use some form of soap. So think of it in terms like this soap. Take the scripture. Oh, you're going to observe the passage you read. I don't care if it's a chapter, a verse, or what you observe, you make application, and you pray it back to God. If you will do that on a day in, day out basis, I, I don't care if you just take 15 minutes, if you'll do that incrementally, throughout the course of your lifetime on a day-in, day-out basis, I can assure you that in 5, 10, 15 years, you're going to see some dramatic transformation that has happened in your life as a result of the intake of God's Word. Number three, bread represents God's family and fellowship. You know, we have physical needs, spiritual needs, and we have relational needs. And so uh, bread is a metaphor sometimes for the family of God. In Acts 2.42, the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, Uh, to the fellowship, the breaking of bread, to prayer. And so it was a part of fellowship that the body of Christ, the family of God was celebrating together. Number four is that bread represents salvation. Jesus chose bread as the article of sacrifice in displaying communion, right? This is my body, which is broken for you. Eat and do this in remembrance of me. And so when we celebrate the Lord's table, the, the fruit of the vine that is representative of the blood of Jesus and the bread representing his body, it is a picture of salvation. And so bread often represents salvation. So my point is this, you have physical needs, you have emotional needs, you have spiritual needs, you have directional needs, you have eternal needs, and God is the only one who can meet every single one of those needs. And he's willing to do that. So the question is, how do I let God meet the needs That he wants to meet. How do I do that? How how do I incorporate that into my life? Well, it's very simple. You have to learn to be dependent upon him. To be dependent upon him. And the way that you depend upon him is faith. It is by faith. Again, our relationship with God is a faith walk. And faith will display itself in three ways that shows that we are actually depending upon Him to meet all of our needs. Here's number one. I see God as the source of everything. I look to God as my source for everything. He says, give us this day our daily bread. That word give. Who's who's doing the giving? God is. God, give me this day. Give us this day our daily bread. He is the owner of all things. We are merely the stewards or the managers of what God owns. Now, this is a beautiful relationship because many of you own your own home. And when something breaks down in your house as the owner, you got to fix it. You've got to pay for it. You're either going to do it yourself. Or you're going to hire somebody to do it because you own the house. But if you're renting, then it's the responsibility of the person who owns the house. You're just renting it. You don't own it. And so stewardship is viewed from this this advantage, is that God, the first step in stewardship is that God is the owner of all things. You You may say, well, I own my house. Really? Really? Stop paying your taxes and see how fast that goes away. Or I own my clothes. Really? Let me tell you what you own. You own everything you take out of this world when you leave it. You brought nothing into the world. You, ha- you take nothing with you. God owns it all. He has simply given it to you on loan. You are a steward of what God owns. You don't own anything. God is the one who created your body. He's the one who pumps your heart. He's the one who puts air in your lungs. And God says, when on that appointed day, when I say to your heart, stop beating, it's going to stop beating. You don't own anything. And when you view it that way, then it's like, God, I'm not responsible for this You are responsible for meeting my needs, but now that does not mean that it's like carte blanche where I can do whatever I want and live however I want and, uh, you know, just kind of put God on the back burner of my life, and God, you have to meet my needs because after all, you're the owner. Uh, It doesn't work that way. Remember, God supplies, we have to gather, all right? So, um, but by and large, the gift is from us, and so whatever we need, God says, you know what? It's no problem. And so God wants, he desires to give. I mean, think about this. When God gave Jesus to die in our place, it was his gift of the first fruit. In other words, Jesus was his best that he had to offer. And that's the principle that you find all through the Bible. The principle, both Old and New Testament, of the first fruit. So God says to me as a steward, hey, I've given you money. How are you stewarding your money? Are you giving me back the first fruit? If if you are, I promise you, I will meet your needs. I will open up the windows of heaven. Seek first my kingdom, I'll supply what you need to eat and drink and live. Jesus says, you don't have to worry about those things. Your father will take care of it. But if I don't, that's a different story. God may out of his grace, but he's not obligated. What about the time God has given me? What about the gifts that God has given me? God has given me all of those things as he has with you to steward what God has granted us so that he can in turn continue to bless us so that we steward and, and it just keeps, it keeps rolling. Here's another implication is there is nothing I need that God cannot supply. There's not a thing I need that God cannot supply. Philippians 4.19 says, God can supply all my needs through His glorious riches through Christ. Glorious riches means to lavish as only God can lavish. So as a a child of God, I don't have to live a life of fear, worry, and anxiety. The reason we do is because we want control, we want ownership, and so we get caught up in this what-if mentality. How many of you live off the what-if mentality? Well, what if this happens? And what if that happens? And what if this doesn't go right? And what if this doesn't take place? And what if they don't come through? And what if this... And so, watch. I don't know what your scariest what if is, but what doubts and fears that clutter your mind and emotions, I can assure you, you're going to fill your life with worry and fear and anxiety. Worry is the down payment we pay, put on a problem that may never happen. And God says, the bottom line is this. The bottom line is is that if the bottom drops out, let's say your scariest what if does happen. If the bottom drops out, guess where God is in the bottom. So here's the scenario I always think in my mind. It's, and then I think of getting this on your outline. What if that would be and God will? So let's just say you play out the worst scenario you can think about. Well, what if this happens? Well, that would be terrible, And God will do this. For example, um, perhaps you've already been through the depths of your greatest fear. Um, I know families and walked with families who lost a child, stillborn. And the doctors warned of that, and they played the scenarios in their head, as you would as a human being. Well, what if this happens, and what if this doesn't take place, and what if God doesn't? And so the baby is born and it is, it is alive for a few hours, and it dies. Well, that would be what? That would be terrible. That's going to be a sincere loss. That's going to create so much pain in our hearts. That That's going to be with us for the rest of our lives. So you can play out the scenario, but God will what? God will supply our needs. God will bring peace where there is emptiness and fulfillment where there is desire and God and you can just start playing out the the scenarios of what God will do. And I can assure you that that I have been with many families in this scenario, with children, with you know teenagers and beyond. And years later, as they as they just give it over to the Lord and God they found out that God is in the bottom with them and that He is true and faithful and and God does some miraculous things in their lives and through their lives by way of helping others and and God just like using it as a platform in ministry, that they would never wish this on anyone else, but because they've gone through it and they know there's many, many other parents who've going through it, and then all of a sudden, they who have walked through that valley bring what God has done in their lives through that into the scenario of this new family who just lost their child, and that carries a great deal of weight. And so many of you have been through many things that you would never wish on anyone else. I'm not, I'm not saying or suggesting that you would choose to go through it again. I'm not suggesting that God put you through it so that He could teach you a lesson. Nevertheless, on your way back from the bottom, you swam to the surface with a gift. The knowledge that God has sustaining power and that the faithfulness of God will always reign true. So when your thoughts want to go to what-ifs, the first thing you need to do is you need to identify that. Don't let it go wild. Do not focus on it. It's like, well, what if that happens? Well, that would be bad. You know, what if my repair bill on my car, I can't afford it? Well, that would be inconvenient. I'm going to have to figure out how to get the kids to school, and I'm going to have to figure out how to get them to practice and all those things. But I believe that God will help me figure something out. He always has. It might be inconvenient, but it's not impossible. All right, so here's number two. We want to move beyond the anxiety and worry. And so I trust God for today. One of the reasons why we, we continue on in fear, worry, and anxiety is we, we, we are constantly borrowing from tomorrow. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, I think this is verse 34, uh, as he's talking about worry and anxiety and all of those things, he, he says, Why? Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. In other words, stop borrowing from the unknown of tomorrow. You you have to live today. Give us this day our daily bread, not this day and tomorrow, not this day and tomorrow and the next day and the next day, this day, one day at a time. When you're going through valleys, when you're hitting a crisis in your life, you can't afford to borrow in tomorrow. You can't let your mind run wild about the what-ifs down the road. You only have strength for this day. God can't help you if you're going to let it go off into the, you know, next week, next month, next year, how's all this? But God says, I'll give you everything you need for today. So how do I do that? Well, Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 4, if you want to turn there for a minute, moment, or I'll just... Uh, read it. It's a very familiar passage. It's one of the hardest, most difficult passages that we um, we try to deal with in our Christian lives. He says in verse 6, rejoice in the Lord always and say rejoice. That's in verse 4. About in verse 6, he says, um, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your quest, request to God in the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, what is pure, right, noble, whatever is admirable, anything excellent, praiseworthy, think on these things. And so what does he say? God says for each day, pray about everything. Pray about everything. Do not be anxious about anything. And you say, well, that's impossible. No, it's not or he wouldn't have said it. Now, anxiety may hit you, but it doesn't mean you have to stay there. You don't have to camp there. You don't have to put up a tent there. He says you can move beyond that. And so you worry about nothing. You worry about nothing. That's the very first step, worry about nothing. Again, it, it is a hard command. I understand that because, and here's why. Worry is not just a bad habit. It's a sin. And the reason why it's a sin is because it's an insult to God. You are saying in essence, God, I don't believe you can help me. I don't think I can trust you. I don't believe you can meet my need. I think this thing's bigger than you. You've never handled this, and you've never had to deal with this, and you've never, and so on and so forth. It'd be like my children coming home as teenagers and saying, hey, Dad, you know, we're really worried and upset. and We're so filled with anxiety. What are you anxious about? Well, because we think that you're not going to keep the house. Like, I'm paying the mortgage, all right, well, I'm going to keep it. Well, we don't think you can supply food either. We're we're just worried that one day we're going to come home and there's nothing. And so if they went through this whole scenario, would I not be insulted? Like, I've been taking care of you since the day you exited your mother's womb. You are now 15 years old. There's not been a day in which you have been without a ha- a home or without a meal or without clothing on your back. What do you think God feels like when we when we just fill our hearts with worry and anxiety and fear as though he cannot take care of us. And so because we don't like to use the word worry, because we say, okay, well, I'm not going to use the word worry. We use euphemisms to mask it. Like, oh, I'm just, I'm not worried. I'm just concerned about something, right? (laughs) I have some issues I'm working through. Uh, Yeah, you do. I have a lot on my mind. So he says, worry about nothing. Pray about nothing. Everything, so you have two choices. You can either pray or you can worry. You can't worry and pray. If I'm praying, I'm not worrying, but if I'm worrying, I'm not praying. One of the, one of the other is going to fill your, your your time slot, consume your mind, consume your emotions, your thought processes. So Romans 8.32, since, since God did not even spare His own Son for us, in other words, since Jesus died for us, he, but gave Him up for all of us, won't he also surely give us everything else? And so he says, you pray. And then thirdly, you, he says, you thank God. You pray with petitions and you give thanks in how many things? All things. Now, watch this. He didn't say you thank God for the situation. He said you thank God in the situation. I'm not going to thank God, oh God, thank you for giving me cancer, or God, thank you for giving me this, or or, God, thank you for this trial that's come up. That's not what he's asking you to do. That that would be kind of warped. Uh, He's asking you to thank him in it. Why do I thank him in it? Uh, Because God is working in it. Everywhere you are, there he is. And so we give thanks because I know that God's going to take care of me. I know that he's going to meet my needs. I know that he can help me. I know that I can trust him. I know that I can follow him. Again, he may not keep me out of the furnace, but if I'm in the furnace, I know he's in it with me. Right? He's not going to drop the ball on me. And number four is you think about the right things because whatever you put in your mind or whatever your mind stays upon, that's what you get. So if I fill my mind with worry and fear and anxiety, what's the end result? Depression, depression discouragement, um, defeat. But if you fill your mind with the right things, now all of a sudden your mind becomes, and spirit becomes more hopeful, becomes more encouraged, it becomes more positive. And so the one of the ways that we do that is through the Word of God. He says, think on these things. Where do we find things that are pure and admirable and praiseworthy and noble? You find it in the Word of God. Hear me very well. You live, you live with a closed book. You're going to live a life filled with fear, worry, and anxiety. And fear, I guarantee you. Because this is, this is the only thing that has the capability of renewing your mind. That re, change your thoughts. You change your life. You can't change your life without changing your thoughts. You can make some cosmetic changes. But you're never going to change yourself on the deep inner part of you. You have to renew your mind. And the renewal of that mind comes through the truth of God's word. That roots out the lies that you are believing about God, about yourself, and about the situation. And so that's the work of the enemy, right? See, Satan is the one who comes along and says, Well, you know, you can't trust God. You know, you asked for him something over here and he didn't come through and you, you asked for this over here and it, it didn't work out. And, and so then he just starts piling in the scenarios of what, this, what if this doesn't work and what if he doesn't do this and what if this happens? And how are you going to combat that? You anchor in on this verse. And here's the last one, is that not only do I see God as my source and I trust Him for today, but I share whatever God supplies. Now this is a beautiful thing about stewardship. As we channel God's provisions through us, it is amazing the transformational power that has in an individual's life. Remember what I said um, Right up here at the beginning, the big idea, there's tremendous power, tremendous power made available to those who are willing to surrender themselves to the Father. And so as I allow God to channel His resources through me or through you, through you there's tremendous power in that, which is why God instructs us to do that. So trusting God, depending on Him, means sharing whatever He supplies and so how do you do that? You do it by sharing. The greatest way to learn how to trust God is by sharing, by channeling. You wanna you don't want to be a cup or a bowl where you just God give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, and you just keep, you know, getting a bigger bowl out. Like when I eat cereal, I don't know how many of you remember the Beverly Hillbillies and Jethro Bodine. Like he get out this bowl like this when he ate cereal. Okay, that's my oatmeal bowl. Literally. I mean, the thing is like. So so it's like a a cooking bowl, right? So it's it's huge. Um, I don't want to be a bowl. I don't want to just keep asking God for resources and just keep spending it on myself. I want to be a straw. I want God to channel it through me. And so those of you who allow God to channel his resources through you, you understand this principle and you know that this is one of the ways that God walks us through trials and walks us through a crisis and the way that God builds our faith and our trust in Him, whether it be in the area of our finances or whatever else. But certainly finances is one of the big areas in which God um, you know, teaches us and stretches our faith and causes us to walk with Him in deeper ways. So here's, uh, here's kind of what the two principles that I've learned. when God gives, Whatever God gives me, He wants to give through me. I've given you 2 Corinthians 9 to look at. People ask me all the time the difference between a tithe and an offering. As people go to 2 Corinthians 9, they go, well, see, Paul said you're only supposed to give whatever it is you want to give. Well, you need to understand that the offering he was collecting there was for the poor in Jerusalem. He wasn't collecting their tithes. He was collecting an offering, and offering is anything above a tithe. It's not the tithe. So and when you let God channel things through you, so what does God teach you through finances? Is it I can trust God, I can trust God, I, can, I can't tell you how many times especially when we were in college and school, how many times, if I were to give my tithe on that Sunday, I had not enough money to pay my bills or maybe even buy groceries for that week. But God was always faithful to us when we were faithful to him. It was amazing. God did it through all different ways and means. It wasn't, I, I never went out into my mailbox, opened it up and had a letter from God said, hey, Greg, here's, here's some money for you. But God always used people to supply the needs as God stretched our faith and grew our faith. Number two is when I get others, when, when I um, meet others' needs, God takes care of mine. Again, this is another principle of first fruits. It's another principle of the Scripture: how when you meet the needs of others, that God often loops that right back around to you. So when I say that God meets our needs, I'm not saying that God's necessarily going to meet your need, whatever it might be, because you opened up the Bible that day and the Holy Spirit lifted up a verse off the path and said, you know, here's your need, Matt." No, because my need might be a physical need. right? So how's God going to meet that? Oftentimes through other people. This is why you don't want to be independent. You know, people I know, because they're so prideful, they say, I will never ask anybody for help. Why would you do that? You're robbing the body of Christ of the ability to bless you. God's blessing them as they're blessing you, and they want to do that, and they desire to do that, but you're robbing them of that because you're not letting them meet that need. And so God would say, put the pride aside, surrender yourself to me. I will meet all of your needs, physical needs, emotional, spiritual. Okay, what if I have an emotional need? Like I'm distraught, I'm just like down, and I'm discouraged, and I'm getting depressed, and you know I'm thinking the wrong thoughts. I know that I understand that, but I'm not stopping. So it might be that God wants to meet a need in your life because He's going to take you to a person, a trusted friend, a counselor, whoever it might be, that will sit down with you and help you work through that process of getting your mind right and your emotions. So do not discount when God wants to meet needs. He's not necessarily going to drop somebody off on your doorstep. But God will bring people across your pathway that will always help you in the midst of your struggle. This is the God to whom we pray. And we ask for things. And things we need. And God says, I got that. Now notice what Jesus did not say. He did not say that God was going to supply all of our wants. You know there is a difference, right? I want a lot of things. But I don't necessarily need it. But I want it. But we have a Heavenly Father who gives us exactly what we need so that when I hit a crisis, I find and discover I'm not trusting in my job. I'm not trusting in my income. I'm not trusting in a lot of things. I don't want them to be idols. I'm trusting in my Heavenly Father to supply what it is I need. And I can assure you, I don't know about you, but in my life, God has never failed to meet our needs as a family. Ever. Bow our together.